Think about your best friend. Would you notice if they changed their hair color? If they lost weight? If they started speaking in a British accent after spending a week-long vacation in England trying to play it off as if it's natural? Yes, Josh, I'm talking about you. It isn't cute anymore. What if they disappeared? Without a trace. Off the face of the earth. Of the several events and tragedies that came from the Brightwall incidents, there's only one that really piqued my interest more than the others. More than the siren attacks, the sentient car rampage, the werewolf onslaught, and that one time we all thought it was gonna be aliens, but then it turned out just to be a weather balloon. It's a simple disappearance. 28-year-old Daniel Ingram, an ambulance assistant from the small hamlet of Brightwall. The date of his last appearance is unknown and lost to time. However, we know he was last seen with his friends outside of a coffee shop. Now, I'm not being vague or mysterious on this one. The coffee shop seems to quite literally be named The Coffee Shop. He left shortly after his work called, wanting him to come in for a short run between the hospital and a residence. He would never make it. According to his work, the hospital and the patient in question, he never showed up. And his friends corroborate the story of him leaving when he did. So where did he end up? Now, I know what you're thinking. The answer is simple. He's dead, idiot. Why are we still talking? People die all the time, and especially in Brightwall. Why is Danny any different? And honestly, that's a good question. And the answer I have for you is this. He isn't. Nothing is special about Daniel Ingram. He wasn't saving people's lives in Ghana. He wasn't developing a cure for any well-known sickness that I'm aware of. He wasn't dressing up as a bat at night and fighting crime. So why pick him? Why pick anyone? And that's a question I struggled with as I mulled over making this podcast and doing the investigation or not. I came to a conclusion. Every disaster or shooting or miscellaneous tragedy that we hear about, all we know about are the death tolls. Hundreds of people dead, thousands of people dead, whatever the number is. And those are just statistics. They're numbers on a page. And each and every one of those numbers belongs to a person, a living, breathing, loving, caring person whose life was taken away by extenuating circumstances. And then they're never thought about again by anyone outside of their close family. So I wanted to go out of my way to remember at least one person in a sea of thousands, to give him and his family and loved ones some closure, and to find out the answer to the million and a half questions left unanswered by the Brightwall incidents. My name is Andrew Cooper, and welcome to the Brightwall Podcast. I'm not originally from Brightwall, and from what I gathered, only about 500 people were. What the population count is now, I can't even fathom to guess, and I doubt the census guide comes around here often. So to start this whole adventure, I did the only thing that made the most sense, and I moved in. I'm in a little hotel room off the main road. I'd love to tell you the name of this place, but honest to God, it just says hotel. So I'll take that for what it's worth. My first day here was spent getting a real feel for the place. You can walk from one end of the town to the other in about 20 minutes if you hustle. The people all seem to be nice, but there's a definite emptiness to it all. Each person I've talked to, and none of them for very long, I'll point out, have a very vacant expression. The, the lights are on, but no one's home. After the series of events that unfolded here, I don't blame them, and honestly, why they didn't just crater the place and fill it with sand and never talk about the whole thing again is beyond me. 
But that's not for me to speculate. Every time I try to bring the conversation around to Dan or missing people in general, they very quickly but politely end the conversation then and there. How do you even bring up this kind of thing without sounding scummy, you know? Like, hey, remember that thing you were all a part of where a bunch of people were either killed or kidnapped or experienced a body horror so disturbing we can't bring it up in polite company? You want to do a podcast on it? No pay. Honestly, I'm surprised nobody threw something at me. I got a few more answers when I just started asking about notable people in the town. This led me to Max. Max was a construction worker for about five years before he had a slip and fall accident in the local grocery store. He sued and won big time. He wouldn't give a definite figure, and all the research came up negative, but he told me it was to the point where he'd never have to think about working again. A tall guy, about six foot two, skinny with the kind of manic energy that made me tired just to be around him. I asked what he was still doing hanging around a grocery store that injured him, to which he replied, and I'm quoting directly here, I don't know, keeping things in check, making sure the nerds don't get in. When asked for further explanation, he declined. I asked his opinion on the Brightwall incidents, and that's when he stonewalled me. He gave me a very stern look and asked me if I was a reporter or something. No, I said. I'm just kind of interested, I guess. I'm doing a podcast on it. I, I have a microphone and everything. Which, as far as I know, is all you need to do a podcast? He told me he doesn't do interviews for free. He then said, and once again I'm quoting directly here, You don't even look like a real podcast guy anyway. Which, like, is an insult I don't really understand, but I'd be lying if I said it didn't hurt a little bit anyway. As I turned to leave what was increasingly becoming the most uncomfortable conversation I've ever had, he stopped me and asked what I knew. Not much, I said, which is true. Just the basics. I I'm looking for somebody specific. And then he got really wide-eyed. And he said, that dude? And I said, yeah! I didn't know who the hell he was talking about, but if he knew a dude that I didn't know about, I, I had to find out about this additional dude, right? Do you know where he is? I asked. He's gone, man, he said. He's been gone. He's long gone. He was gone first. I asked him what he meant by gone first, but he went silent. I wished him a good afternoon, and as I was leaving, he called after me. You're probably going to die down here. Which, while a disconcerting thing to yell at somebody in the grocery store, was probably correct. The statistics were definitely in his favor. So I'm not gonna lie, I, I didn't expect to be as stymied as I was when I first got here. I was kind of expecting everyone to be busting at the seams to tell me their stories of adventure and harrowing survival and love and loss. You know, entertaining content without me having to do much. But as it turns out, it didn't seem to affect the remaining population all that much. Like a series of supernatural disasters were just kind of like a country fair that comes around every year. You lose a couple of friends to a sharknado and then you move on with your damn life. I wonder honestly if I'm taking things too seriously. If no one else seems to care about the missing people, then like why should I? Maybe I should just pack up and leave and do a story on the black hole that appeared in that old lady's cupboard in Waco, Texas. Or so she says. I think it might just be a black mold problem. But I figured I'd keep trying. If I couldn't get any general information from the townspeople, I would start to get more specific. Before Danny's disappearance, he was in contact with seven different people. Five of them were his group of friends, who were right there before he left, who were unavailable for comment or interview. We couldn't even get names. The other two are the dispatchers where he worked and his partner who drove the ambulance. 
We got a hold of the dispatcher, a man who declined to give us his name, but he gave us the pseudonym Pog. Really. Like P-O-G. Like the 90s toys? Yeah, no, I, I didn't ask. Anyway, Pog said that he dispatched Danny at 12.35 p.m. on a routine hospital run. Pick somebody up from their house, bring them to the hospital and back. Super simple. They had done it all the time. It's kind of like the bread and butter. When asked about Danny's attendance on a usual day, he said that it was almost impeccable. On time every day, almost never took the day off, except for one time when his grandma was sick and he stayed with her because he didn't want her to be alone that day. Jesus Christ, is this kid vying to be the next pope or something? He said as far as he knew, Danny liked working there and had no plans of leaving to anywhere else, partially because he enjoyed the work and partially because there's maybe two other jobs in this town and they all kind of suck. A statement corroborated by his partner, who also declined to give us her name, but for the sake of simplicity, we're going to call her Alex. Alex declined to be recorded, but was very helpful in telling us some of the information we needed. She said on that day, and she can't be specific because they all kind of run together, there was another attack on Brightwall, which we all assumed, but it's good to have confirmation. When pressed for exactly what the attack was, she couldn't say. She just remembers a swarm, or a flood, or a surge of something infesting the town. She lost contact with Danny almost immediately after confirming their job together. She said it was only a couple of hours later before the town was fully overrun, and maybe another hour or so before the attack had fully subsided. When all was said and done, they never heard from Danny again. As big a bummer as that sounds, it's good information for us. We can now narrow it down to what exactly attacked Brightwall on that day in specific. She said it was a swarm or a flood of things, and looking through the notes that were released earlier this year about the Brightwall attacks, only a couple of things fit that exact bill. We have zombies, a tsunami, sentient mudmen, a plague of man-eating locusts, and a series of Golden State Warrior bandwagon fans during the playoffs. We can throw out the tsunami, because we have to imagine the loss of life would have to be greater than the three or four people who went missing around that time. Zombies, while a definite possibility, I, I don't think are the issue here. Mostly because zombies weren't cured or anything, they were just shot and disposed of. This led to one of the major population drops suffered by Brightwall at the time. Plus, as far as we know, the dead were all named and accounted for before they were officially disposed of. I have a feeling that this is going to be a constant with these stories. It got fixed, but no one knew how. Which boils us down to locusts and mudmen. For it to be mudmen, the weather outside couldn't be too hot or too dry because that would cause them to dry out prematurely and they wouldn't have been much of a threat to anyone. Which probably puts their time of effectiveness into the late spring. Locusts, however, don't whip themselves up into a dangerous frenzy or swarm until a particularly bad bout of drought, which would place it sometime during the summer months, probably late July or early August. So in order to bring down to one specific attack, we need to find out what date specifically this all happened on, or at the very least, the month. This is where we once again hit a roadblock. This time it wasn't necessarily people not wanting to give us information or flat out refusing to talk about it. They just legitimately could not remember. Going back to Alex and Pog, the two people who helped us out the most so far, yielded this information. And once again, I'm quoting directly from Alex here. These things began to happen so fast that it's almost like we stopped paying attention. As sad as that sounds, like one day we'd wake up and a giant fire ant had literally set fire to the local post office, and another day we'd wake up to a dragon picking up Mrs. Chrisley's dog and flying away. It's not like we don't want to be specific, we just honestly can't. Said our best bet was to maybe start retracing his steps. 
The ones he taken right before whatever happened, happened. Maybe he dropped something or left behind something that nobody's picked up yet. I thanked them for their help and information and left. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit upset about the whole thing. Not at their lack of information. Well, I mean, kind of. I was upset at the lack of direction we were going in. And I was sad that no one seemed to care. And I was sad that people of Brightwall seemed happy about it. I figured something this massive scale would have been like front page news 24-7 for at least a couple weeks after the fact, but I don't remember seeing anything about it, do you? These files came out months ago, and I don't even remember a token story on the Philip DeFranco show, let alone national news coverage. I wondered for a second if I had been punked and this whole thing was some kind of internet meme I didn't really understand. Then I also wondered if punked was still on the air. I know they tried to bring it back for a little bit after they canceled it, but they kept rotating out the hosts and it wasn't as good. I mean, I'm not a huge Ashton Kutcher fan or anything, but you have to admit the guy had charisma. And it was his show after all, like, it'd be like doing Survivor without that Jeff Probst guy. It just wouldn't be the same. And it was in thinking about all of this that I stumbled onto the parking lot, across the street of the coffee shop that Dan and his friends had been drinking at before the abduction. The lot was probably 40 by 40 in dirt. Lots of dirt. Not really knowing anything specific to look for, I just kind of combed the ground looking for anything interesting. I felt like one of those guys you see at the beach with a metal detector at 6 in the morning looking for loose change. Which I found, so worst case scenario, I'm leaving this place with a nickel. I took probably about 10 minutes scouring the floor for anything useful, and just as I was about to get up and leave, because this is stupid, I saw it. A metallic glint pushed into the dirt at the far edge of the lot. After a little digging, I, I pulled it out. And what it was was a broken key ring, almost straightened out completely except for one solitary house key dangling off the end. Let's put together what we know. Danny came into the parking lot after drinking coffee with his friends, after being called into work. Something happened, and he was never seen or heard from again. None of his personal effects were saved. <clears throat> None of his personal effects were saved, nothing about him was ever found, so the odds of this being his house key are astronomical, right? There's no way an entire police investigation looked over something so obvious as to look for his stuff in the parking lot. I'm telling myself this to not get overexcited at the first real tangible clue we found. I called Pog to get Danny's home address, which at first he refused to give me. After asking why, he said it's because he didn't know who I was and I might just be a looter coming to take his stuff and sell it on eBay. After reminding him that we met earlier in the day and that I was the podcast guy, he gave me the directions. I appreciate him being safe and all, but, like, I have stuff to do. This was also not the first time somebody had completely forgotten who I was hours after meeting me. I wondered if it was something to be worried about later on. I made a mental note not to drink the tap water, just in case. Danny's home was a modest ranch style. Overall, pretty small, but probably too large for just one person. Police caution tape was haphazardly strung across the yard for some reason. It's not like he was lost in a home invasion. I wondered for a second if I shouldn't cross the tape and upset the Brightwall PD, but then I realized that I hadn't seen a single police car since I got here, and the tape itself seemed to be at least six months old. I decided to risk it and ducked under into the yard. There was a weird stillness as I approached the house, like being at school on a weekend. I started getting really nervous as I got to the door. His mailbox still filled with flyers and bills. It seems that nobody took the initiative to cancel the man's cable. 
I slid the key into the lock and turned. The tumblers on the opposite side rattled, and the door was unlocked. This was Danny's key, which means someone missed a piece of evidence so obvious that the only possible option was that someone didn't want it to be found. I always imagined myself a rational man, one that stayed away from conspiracy theories, but nothing about this case had made sense from the get-go. I noticed two things immediately upon entering Danny's house. One, the humidity inside was crushing. It was like sticking your whole head inside of a hot water bottle. And number two, while the outside looked absolutely normal in every way, the inside looked like... Um... How do, how do I put this? You remember the movie Jumanji? This concludes our broadcast day.